Thank you for listening to the Convergence House of Prayer podcast. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Seamus. So good. So uh, what I want you to do is going to do a little exercise right now. And uh, I want you to turn to a person next to you. Yeah, no, jumping jacks, right? Um, to your left or your right and just bless them. Would you just do that? Just say, you don't know what to say, just say, God bless you. Just release the blessing over the person next to you. Amen. Amen. All right, that was actually really, really actually too quiet. Um, so I want you to turn to someone else if you haven't covered that ground and bless them and let's like talk it up, just like release a blessing. If you have a prophetic gift, release the prophetic gift over them, all right? Release the, yeah, the anointing and the favor of the Lord. Well, God's doing so many amazing things, isn't he? I mean, this is the, this is the greatest time in history to be alive. Amen. This is the greatest time in history to be alive. Amen. Amen. Because, you know, it's all about the kingdom of God, right? Don't get caught up in the whole political realms. You're not going to be encouraged, right? You know, and, uh, but get, let's get our eyes on Jesus. Let's fix our eyes on the Lord. And uh, the, the Lord is completely secure in what he's doing. And I believe that the Lord is going to pour his spirit out in the Silicon Valley. I believe that we're on the brink of something amazing. And we are all just going to get ready for the ride because when God does it, he's going to, he's going to turn it up and we're going to be a part of it. And that's the beauty of co-laboring with the Lord. Right? Right, right. Well, I got my big iPad today. So this is a, this is a tablet. This is a jumbo tablet. So, Drew, yeah, I'm not going to call you up. You're not going to preach right now. I just want to say congratulations. Yeah, where's Alicia? She's at home with the baby. Yeah, okay, okay. Another, you know, another child to the Gimberling family. And oh, she wanted to say hi. Kimber, how you doing? Great. I love my baby sister because she's so small. <laughs> so she said. And more. She said more. Can I just share a testimony about Kimber? Is that okay if I share the, the park testimony? So I don't even, you know, I, I can't keep track of every, all the, you know, something in the water. And uh, so don't really know, but I do know that, you know, I was, I was, we, had a, we had a harvest, it was a party or something. Or it was some kind of party or Something at a park. It wasn't Harvard Hills. Anyway, long time ago. And Kimber was a lot smaller then, probably, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago. And I, I knew Kimber. I said hi to Kimber. But that's all, you know, that's all kind of I knew. And so I didn't even think Kimber knew me. You know, I'm Pastor Greg, senior pastor, but I didn't really think that she knew me, you know. And so I walked up to the par- into the park. I said, hi. I said, what's your name? She goes, Kimber, and she goes, hi, PG. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Are you serious? She was only like two and a half years. I don't even know. Anyway, she's, hi, PG. And you know, the cutest. Anyway, so 
That was, that's my testimony about Kimber. So. Anyway, congratulations to the Gimberling family. They have another newborn in the family. I know um, others. Okay, anyway. So, well, good. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, uh, and John 6. You can choose any one of those if you want, because I'm going to be preaching out of all of them. So I'm going to be talking about feeding the 5,000. And, uh, you know, we've just been on this journey since coming back from the Philippines. It's, it was a great time with, you know, two weeks or so we were in the Philippines. But came back, we talked about out of uh, Psalm chapter 2. Ask of me and I will give the nations as an inheritance. And I just want you to know that you need to get your passports ready because we're going to the nations. So I know a lot of you are just getting that work done right now. I'll be in hopefully contact this week and try to get that ball rolling for next summer. So now wouldn't it be awesome to go to six or five or four or five, six places in the Philippines and just have different teams going everywhere, right? Bringing healing, bringing the prophetic, just loving people, having compassion on people, going for it. So um, just be ready for that. Ask me and I'll give the nations. And the thing is that the nations are right here. Right? So the nature of the Bay Area growth is from the other nations of the world. And so, um, so welcome to all you first generation. How many first generation people here? Put your hand up. You're first generation from another country, and you're here today. Put your hand up real high. All right. Look at so many people. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. And then we talked about, uh, I don't even know, I can't remember, but I just want to, I think it's about blessing. We talked about blessing, right? And to bless... To bless means to, to uh, the word bless means favor. And so when we bless somebody, we're requesting God's favor or God's face or the anointing to come on their life. That's why I think Jesus says, bless those who curse you. He said, love your enemies. Why? Because we're actually asking the Lord to point their face, his face toward them. It's not just, we're not, praying for like material blessing to come rain on their life, we're, which is totally, that could totally happen, but we're really asking that the Lord would turn his face toward them. And then, you know, even in the, in the blessing, we can repent. So we don't want to, we don't want to be caught, our, we don't catch ourselves cursing at people, telling them that they're idiots, telling them that that's just the wrong message for us to send. We want to be people who bless and we want to be known as a blessing. And the good news is that when we bless Cast your bread on the water because it comes back to us. And so we receive a blessing. We align ourselves up with the Lord. And so it's super important that we learn to bless. I heard some testimonies already about people uh, just blessing, going in the workplace and just blessing the workplace. You know, the workplace could be a hostile environment. You just go in, you bless, and you actually bring the presence of the Lord into the workplace. So that's about shifting the atmosphere and positioning ourselves to shift uh, people's lives. So be a blessing. Continue to do that. Amen. And last week, we talked, about, we talked about Aaron and taking the censer and walking in between the living and the dead, and that we are to carry intercession into the places of offense, into the places where people don't believe in you, into those those hard places where even a plague might be breaking out, 
we are to carry the censer in, which is actually our intercession and our worship and stand in between the living and the dead. Like we're actually the, the, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light, right? We carry that. And that's just a word of encouragement for all of us as we go. It's like we're, we're go, we go to bless and then we go and we love people unconditionally. And so it, to actually love our neighbor as ourselves and not just uh, love those who we like, but actually love everybody, right? And so we want to do that. Today, I want to talk a little bit, kind of focus on, on meeting needs. And so I guess I'm going to climb up here because I'm going to, I want to read that. And I have all the scriptures uh, right on the PowerPoint, so, um, or what are they, whatever they call that. So is that up? Let's get that up. All right. So I'm going to be speaking to you out of four. Let me just kind of give you some background. The feeding of the 5,000, the Lord just began to minister to me. Uh, this week around, around that particular miracle. First of all, it's the only miracle uh, that Jesus did that's actually in all the Gospels. And so when you study the miracle, you know, you're looking in Matthew and then you know what's happening in Mark, you know what's going down in Luke, and you know it's happening in John. And different, these different guys have different lenses on the miracle. And so uh, what I love to do is I grab um, what they call the harmony of the Gospels. And the harmony of the Gospels are, are super great people who put together all the, all the events in the Gospels and lay them out chronologically. And so you begin to see a bigger picture of what's happening in the miracle. So it's just not Mark's account or it's not just Matthew's account. They do their best to bring it all together and make it one collective story. And so that's what I did. Uh, I borrowed it. I can't even remember the resource. I, I actually bought the book on Kendall. He did a great job. He kind of put all this together. And this is where I want to read to you out of. And I want you to follow along with me um, as we go ahead and as we read uh, because it's, again, it's all laid out in chronological order. So are you guys ready? All right. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Remember, often in Scripture, it's always doing first and then, and then teaching. In our culture, we want to teach and then do. But we see in Scripture, especially in the book of Acts, chapter 1, they always talk about doing something first and then teaching from the encounter. So they all, all that they had done and taught, he took them along and they withdrew privately. They crossed the sea or Tiberias or Tiber, whatever that name is, in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them. Then they ran there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. And a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing on the sick. He welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and cured those who needed healing. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep 
without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. Now Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. Late in the day, the twelve approached and said to him, send the crowd away so they so they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging because we are in a deserted place here. Verse verse, uh, Matthew 14. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. Wow. He asked Philip, where will we buy bread so these people can eat? And he asked him to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they? For so many. Bring them here to me, he said. Have the people sit down in groups of about 50 each. Some translations say hundreds and fifties. There was plenty of grass in that place, so the men sat down on the grass, for about 5,000 men were there. Now, if you include women and children, that's about 15,000. Estimates between 15,000 and 20,000. Just think of a capacity crowd at Oracle Arena. Because that holds about 19,000. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set them before the people. Oh, we're going to have fun with this story. Actually, this miracle story. He also divided the two fish among them. Everyone ate and was filled. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. All right, so let's get the context, right? Because that's important. Everyone say context. Context. Smile, we're going to have fun today. Smile, we're going to have fun today. Are you guys alive? Say amen, we're ready. All right, so let's set the context. So Jesus is in the Galilee region. So if you have a map, you have Jerusalem here, Galilee's up here somewhere, and that's kind of his hometown. That's his turf, right? So he's from Nazareth. Nazareth is part of Galilee. So he's up here in Galilee, and we pick up the story with him hanging out with his disciples. Now, disciples just came back from a ministry trip. Jesus sent them, the 12 out, and he gave them authority, power and authority, to cast out demons, to all this kind of stuff. So they had two ministry trips. So he sends the 12 out. They go on this ministry trip, and all the, the demons are subject to them, and there's just, they're just coming back, they're running, they're excited, and they're sitting down with Jesus, and they want to go ahead and share the stories. At the same time, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, John the Baptist is beheaded. So Jesus and his 12, 
There's this dual thing going on. There's this celebration of ministry. Then there's the practical side of grieving because John just got killed. They just murdered John. Who's John? John is the forerunner of Jesus, right? They were, they were actually cousins, and so they had this relationship. Let's put John's death, John the Baptist's death, right around uh, the age of 30 or 31 years old. He was young. He was beheaded, remember? So here they are. They're at this, they're at this one side of the Sea of Galilee. It's actually a lake, but it's the Sea of Galilee, and he's sitting down, and then the crowds are there, and so Jesus says, let's go to a remote place, one I am really tired. Number two, I am grieving. And number three, though I'm tired and though I'm grieving, I want to hear your story. I want to hear what the Lord did in your, on your ministry trip. So they make this decision. Let's grab a boat and let's cross the sea. So that's what they did. They went ahead, they grabbed a boat, they all, all 12 of them plus Jesus, they huddled into the boat and off they were to the other side. Problem is, is that Jesus can still be seen crossing the sea. And so the people that were there, the few people that were there, they, were, they recognized it and the sea kind of goes like this. So there were neighboring towns all around the sea, and the word gets out that Jesus is going to the other side. So what happens? Well, he was healing the sick. I mean, he was coming, needs were being met, the power of God is coming, so word gets out, and they actually run around the entire sea, literally. Now, I don't know if they did, I don't know when they actually caught up, the ones that were over here, but the word, they weren't texting each other, They weren't on social media, but word was traveling that Jesus is going to the other side of the sea. Why? Because Jesus is tired. Jesus is grieving. He wants to hear the stories, and he just wants to get away with his disciples. Wow. So they jump in the boat. I don't know how long it takes. Honestly, don't know how long it takes. Didn't research that. Anyway. Whatever it was, they went all the way around, and here they are on this, in this, on this grassy field in a remote place. They finally stop, and as they're coming, they see the crowds. They're running toward the disciples and Jesus. So there's Jesus. He's tired. He wants time off. So we think. He wants time off, and here comes these, not 100, not 500 people. We're talking between 15 and 20,000 people coming, running toward Jesus and his disciples, and this is the context. So it says in John chapter 6, verse 2, And a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing on the sick. He, number one, he welcomes them. 
He doesn't say the service hasn't started yet. Come back tomorrow. Maybe in a couple hours I'll minister to you. But not only did they show up, he actually welcomes them. And he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and he cured all those who needed healing. How many people needed healing in a group of between 15 and 20,000? I mean, how did he do it? Did he just speak the word? Did he have an altar call? We don't know, but I'm, I'm assuming that it was more than just one or two people who were needing healing. He was tired. He was grieving. The crowd was coming. And there's a key word in this verse. Well, in these verses, out of all these gospels, it's, it's actually Mark 6, 34. And he had compassion on them. The first, I don't know, the Lord's really been speaking to me a lot about this, and that is that we have to have a, a heart of compassion before we can actually step out and begin and have the hands to actually care for people. Like ministry has to start in the heart. When ministry doesn't start in the heart, it, it's not sustained because it's something that we have to do and not something that we want to do that the, Lord, that the Lord is bursting in our heart. Like, do we have compassion for the, our work, the people that work with us? Do we have, ask the Lord for compassion. Ask the Lord that you would feel, that I would feel what the Father feels. Compassion in the, in the Greek, is a gut-wrenching emotion. It's more than just, yeah, you had compassion on somebody. No, he actually, it was a, it was a deep, almost empathetic, uh, I don't know how to, how to really phrase it. There was, there was there's something inside of us that's going off that you have to minister to them. You have to reach out to them. This is what Jesus is feeling. His disciples aren't. His disciples are like, ready to say, get him out of here. But Jesus is filled with this compassion. And then it says in that point of scripture, it says, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. So Jesus has compassion on them. Then Jesus welcomes them. Then Jesus demonstrates the kingdom, and he begins to heal the sick. I think it was thousands of people. I think, well, at least hundreds of people that he healed. And all their infirmities were gone. Wow, that's amazing. So now that the healing service is over, Jesus is, is done teaching them. I don't know how many hours it was, but he's in front of 15,000 people, and it says here in John chapter 6, verse 4, now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. That means there was more than just the locals. There were people from everywhere that were gathered. Late in the day, the 12 approached, late in the day, the 12 approached 
and said to him, send the crowd away so they can go into the surrounding villages and the countryside to find food and lodging because we are in a deserted place right here. So, 15,000 people, Jesus is preaching the kingdom, he's teaching these people, he's tired, he's still grieving, but his heart of compassion supersedes his own personal emotion. Does that make sense? In other words, his heart for people is, is blowing up inside of him as the good shepherd, and he wants, to, he wants to teach them about the kingdom, and he wants to heal the sick, and he's there doing this, and it gets to be late in the afternoon, maybe it's five or six, and the disciples are like, man, Jesus just keeps on going. He just, like, he just keeps on going. Like, like, dude, I'm hungry. Like, you know, I have all this good news. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be able to share all this stuff. And he's just keeps, he just keeps going. And maybe there was a pause in the action. And at that point, the disciples run, in, you know, typically maybe run in front of the crowd and say, the church service is over. What, this is what they want to do. The church service is over. Why don't you guys go ahead? Go into the villages, because remember the sea was like this. So go into the villages and go ahead and get some lodging, get some food, and maybe we'll pick up on this tomorrow. And Jesus says in verse 16 of Matthew, they don't need to go away. Oh, my God. I don't even know how long it took between these two phrases. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. You've got to be kidding me right now. <laughs> Jesus, you're kidding. Come on, man. You're tired. You're, you're kidding me. Uh, you, you give them something to eat. Practically speaking, there's, a, there's towns and villages right there. All they have to do is get up off the grass and make their journey to these towns because there's a lot of food establishments there. Why don't we just send them there? That would be the more practical thing to do. You give them something to eat. Wow. The Lord is putting a demand on them that in the natural, they cannot resource. And at first, they thought, uh, he's just, he's, he's got to be kidding. But Jesus didn't, like, Jesus didn't give any indication that he was kidding. So, he asks Philip, where will we buy bread so these people can eat? Jesus is pretty serious right now. Why did he go to Philip? Why are Philip and Andrew part of the story? Because Peter, Philip, and Andrew, this was their hometown. 
they were actually raised by the Sea of Galilee. This was their home turf. If anyone knew this region better, it was Philip, Andrew, and Peter. Peter and Andrew are brothers. Philip came along on the, on the ride. So these three guys knew this area real well. We don't even see Peter mentioned here, but he does turn to Philip. And he says, hey, man, this is your hometown. Is there like a local Galilean Safeway somewhere where we could go and we can buy bread for these people? You know the region. You know the area. And he asked this to test him, not tempt him. And there's a huge difference. He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Wow. Philip answered. He didn't even answer the question. Jesus is asking where, and he's asking how. He says, 200 denarii worth of bread only wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. 800, two de, where is it? 200 denarii is about eight months of wages. So what's, what's Philip saying? Philip's thinking very practically. He's counting it up. You want me to go to Safeway? And you want us to feed over 15,000 people? Let me think here. Like, Philip is like, and I'm like, I'd probably be like where Philip's at, totally. I'm thinking, okay, wait, wait. That's about, that's, that's over eight months of wages. We don't have it. And that's only to feed just a little bit, like a couple bites. That's it. So Jesus is saying, he puts him into an impossible situation. The disciples never knew it was coming. The disciples are all about, I want to share the story about what God did on the ministry trip. And Jesus is ready to educate them on what, what God wants to continue to do on this ministry trip. So there they are. He turns over, he says, you feed the 15,000. Philip's like, you got to be kidding me. It's going to be at least eight months of wages, and we don't have it. I've done the calculation. So God wants to meet needs by stretching us beyond our natural abilities. So sometimes the task of meeting needs is vast, it's big, and because of that, we tend to excuse it that Jesus really can't be serious about this. The church wants to, quote, send them away. Service is over. The ecclesia is asked to govern through meeting needs. So then Jesus says, go ahead. Where will we buy the bread so these people can eat? Again, this is Philip and Peter's and Andrew's hometown. They should know exactly what's going on. 
So here's the question. What do we do when the Lord asks of us a request to meet a need that is way beyond our capacity? I mean, there might be ministries that the Lord is birthing in your heart that you're thinking, how in the world will that ever happen? There might be something the Lord is stirring in your heart. It could be forming an adoption agency to meet a need. It could be something as a food ministry for for those who are uh, struggling, maybe really a certain area, and you're thinking, this thing is so big. The Lord's requiring something of me that I do not have the capacity in and of myself to do. This is what they're feeling. These are what the, the disciples are feeling. Philip's solution was practical but faithless. In our own strength, with our own resources, it's impossible, yet it's being required of us. Philip was only thinking in the natural, not the supernatural. And when we take a step sometimes, we'll get to that part of the story in a moment, when we take a step into the natural to meet a need, God meets us with the supernatural. Does that make sense? It's awfully quiet in the room. Say amen and smile at me. So ministry, the greatest miracles await, the greatest miracles await us on the other side of inconvenience. Jesus was tired. Everybody was hungry. I don't know if you get grouchy when you're hungry. So only, we're not even done yet, so don't be thinking about food right now. <laughs> but I believe the statement is true. The greatest miracles await us on the other side of inconvenience. Was this convenient? No. Was it convenient for Jesus to go across the lake? and minister all day long and heal all the sick when he was tired and grieving? No. The disciples were done, and they said, send the whole crowd away so we can spend time with you. And Jesus comes up with a just absolutely, I don't even know what kind of a statement this is, impossible statement, You go ahead and feed him. And Philip just throws his hands up in the air. You ever felt like that? He just throws his hands up in the air and he says, there's no way we can do this. He wasn't even thinking in the supernatural and he just came back from a ministry trip. Does that make sense to anybody? Like he just came back from a ministry trip where he saw demons leave. Not only did he see Jesus do it, he actually did it. So not only did he observe the supernatural, he flowed in the supernatural. 
and they're there to have a ministry report, and the Lord requires something of him that is supernatural, and all you can think about was, how do we solve this in the natural? Man, I can't tell you how many times I've been there. The Lord requires something of me. I've seen his faithfulness. I've seen the Lord do so many amazing things with limited resources, and he requires something of me that might be another level up, and it's like I absolutely forget everything he just did over the last 30 years. And there I am, stuck. So now I begin to think in the natural. How do we do ministry? How do we, how do we do this? How do we do that? We don't have the means. We don't have the resources. We don't have this. We don't have that. And we have all these excuses, and the Lord is waiting for us to respond to the small steps in the natural because he wants to release the supernatural. There's Philip. Frustrated. Ever been there? Philip turning over to maybe one of his disciples and say, Jesus is a little, he's grieving. <laughs> there they are. I mean, I try and, these are real men. They're in their 20s because they're his disciples and they're learning because you're in your 20s, you're learning. Okay, you guys are, I was teasing about that. We're all learning, all right? Just, man. So in order for us to see the full release of the miracle in meeting people's needs, especially, we have to start with something. We don't gripe, we start. We don't complain, we begin. If we think about our resources and not his, we fall prey to a negative spirit and a critical spirit in his spirit, and we lose our hope. It's like someone just, someone just got a pin and popped the balloon. And all hope leaves. Are you guys all right? Amen. Verse 8. Oh, my goodness. Verse 8. The next portion of Scripture. One of his disciples, Andrew... Simon Peter's brother, this is his home turf, right? This is Andrew's home turf. This is, said to him, hey, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus Initial, I don't think there was even a pause. His initial response is, that's what I need. That's all I need. He says, bring them here to me. And then he says, have the people sit down in groups of about 50 each. So then there's Andrew. Not that Andrew. 
equally aware of the enormity of the need, he looks around for an answer anyways. So this is what we do. Like I said, we don't gripe, we start. Do something. This is where it all begins. Andrew locates a small lunch that a boy was willing to donate. He admits it. He admits it's not much to offer given the need, but he offers it anyway. So while Philip is storming and griping, Andrew is looking and moving. Because meeting people's needs begins with doing something. The fish and the bread was not a king-sized salmon. Or like we said in staff, it wasn't a dolphin that the little boy had. The bread was made of barley, so bread made of barley was poor man's bread. The fish that the boy had was actually the size of a sardine. So while Philip is like, ah, like this, Andrew is looking for something. Andrew is maybe pressing through the crowd a little bit because we're supposed to feed the 15,000. Maybe there's something. What what motivates Andrew to search for food? My voice is cracked. (laughs) What motivates him to search for food? Possibility. Maybe, just maybe, we're going to take Jesus' word for it. He said, he talked about going into the Safeway. There might be something here. So there's a little boy, we don't know how old he is, a boy that is there. I don't think he had a brown bag. I think he, I don't know what they carried it in, but Andrew sees it. And he says, that might do it. I'm just going to take this. This is impossible, but I'm going to take this. I'm going to ask this boy, and we're going to take this to Jesus as he's pressing through the crowd. First of all, the boy said yes, which is absolutely crazy because he's never mentioned again, but he's, his miracle is in every gospel. And you're never alone in the crowd. You never know when the Lord's going to use you. You never know. You're going to have, you know, we think we're just one person in a bigger picture. I'm telling you, in a moment, the Lord might require something of you that changes the lives of hundreds of thousands. He's memorialized in the, in the Gospels because he said yes to one of, his, one of Jesus' disciples. I don't know what Andrew said. The master needs this. 
Is it okay? So he brings a little boy. He comes before Jesus, and this is what he says. There's a boy here. There's a boy right here who has five barley loaves and two fish. I mean, we're talking barley loaves like this, two sardines. 15,000 people. Philip is griping, still fuming, because Jesus asked something of him that he can't produce. But Andrew finds the boy in the crowd. You know what? God put the boy there. I don't think, I don't think half the things happen. I don't think a lot of things happen by coincidence. He's waiting for one of his disciples to find him. The miracle of feeding the 15,000 is found in the morsel in the boy's hand. What if you're the boy? This means, like I said, we're never just lost in the crowd. We're never without anything to offer. We never know who the Lord will claim and use in ways that we can't predict or haven't even intended. We never know how the Lord's going to redeem our little bit, these bits and pieces, and use them to give grace to the hungry. The truth is, Jesus sometimes just needs something to work with. It might be your time. Just something to work with. It might mean your availability. Just something to work with. It might be the person that you're walking by and you feel it a nudge by the Holy Spirit. But it's inconvenient. And then we say, that must be the enemy because the Lord doesn't want me to stop right now. I got things to do. Got to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit, that nudge. Because just the little bit you have to offer, like we said, maybe it's for you just to say, the Lord bless you. That's just two pieces of fish right there. It's small, but the Lord can use it. I really believe Jesus just needs something to work with, however small it is. That small thing made all the difference in the world because from it, the miracle of multiplication of the loaves and fishes came to be. So there's two things going on. Andrew hearing Jesus and looking for an answer. A solution, a start, just something to move it forward. The boy had the resources 
and was willing to part with the resources, whatever little they had or he had, and he gave it to Andrew, and Andrew gave it to Jesus. So the Lord is going to use the likes of Andrew in this world who offer what they can to turn their world upside down. He's also going to use the likes of a boy who has the resources to give so God can create the miracles to meet the need. So here's the, here's the encouraging part of the whole story. You don't have to have all the answers. Just two sardine-sized fish and five barley loaves. Just lunch. Shouldn't have said lunch. <laughs> and Jesus will do the rest. What are you talking about, PG? I'm talking about being obedient. Go now and make disciples of all nations. That's massive. How do we do that? You bless the person next to you. You offer a cup of cold water in his name. But we're talking about the nations. I'm talking about two fish and five barley loaves. Why? Because when you put those in the hands of, of the king of kings, the maker of all things, you engage the miracle. That's called co-laboring with Jesus. So some of you feel like, well, I don't have a Bible education. I don't have a PhD. I don't have a master's. I don't have, I don't have this. I don't have that. We're great. I haven't taken the classes. We have, we have this phrase, and we use it a lot. I don't have. I don't have the training. I don't have the personality. I'm not sanguine. I'm melancholy. Sanguines are like, they're people people. I'm a melancholy. I don't have, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have. What we, what, what's going on there? We just become Phillips. And we just look at our natural resources and we say we can't do it. And all the while, the Lord is just looking for something. Can you start? Can you take a step? Can you be faithful? Even if you think it's just not going to work. Because what did Andrew say? Here's five barley loaves, two sardines. How can we feed 15,000 people with that? Filled with doubt. But he did something. He put something in Jesus' hands. That's how we meet needs supernaturally. We give God opportunity. When we do small things with great love, we actually are moving in the spirit, if I can use that word, of Andrew and this little boy. 
You know, we want to change the world. Start with doing something small. Commit that to Jesus. He'll change the world. There's an amen from heaven. (laughs) So what about the rest of the story? I'm just going to read it to you. It says, there was plenty of grass in that place, so the men sat down on the green grass. It says, for about women and men, bring them here to me. Have the people sit down in groups of about 50, because I'm ready to launch a miracle. So Andrew brings him to Jesus. That's all he needs. Bring him here to me. Have him form groups of 50. These are all ecclesia groups. 50 and 100, these groups, have them all sit down because there's actually an administrative gift going on in Jesus. Like, organize this thing. Because I have about 15,000 and I have 12 disciples. How are we going to disperse the food? The disciples are like, what's he doing? Our spiritual leader has gone crazy. This is a great lesson on leadership. Sometimes you just got to trust your leader. (laughs) So then he took five loaves and two fish. Listen to this. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. God will bless. We just talked about that two weeks ago. God will bless what we give him. What does that mean? That means favor came down. That means the anointing came in. And the father's face was fixed on the 15,000 and not in that scene at that moment. Favors being released. He looks up. He blesses, he breaks the loaves, and listen to this. And he kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. What did that look like? Right, if you have 15,000, I'm just going to do some administration. You have 15,000 and you have 50 in a group, that means you have 300 groups. You have 12 disciples, so you have one disciple overseeing 25 groups of 50. I think I did the math right. All you guys are like, <laughs> you could do it, you could do it later. But so Philip is over 25 groups of 50. Andrew is over 25 groups of 50. The scripture says that Jesus, he kept giving them this, this meal to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish from uh, among them all. Everyone ate and was filled. So Jesus, the miracle is being created as they're giving. So did they have baskets? Did they have a, what do they have? Jesus is actually multiplying and giving it to his disciples. The disciples are going from one group to another. You have 15,000 people all out there, and this thing never runs out. 
never runs out. So much so that they had 12 basketfuls of bread because a miracle is never wasted, ever. Just a little creates the seed for the supernatural. What's crazy is the Lord will bless what we give him and that in that blessing, multiplication takes place. He kept giving the fish and the bread to the people through the hands of his disciples, through your hands. Can you imagine what was Philip thinking? They ate until they were all full. I mean, stuffed. You ever eat like that? Don't admit it. What was Peter's, what was Philip's calculation? Eight months of wages. Couldn't even give him two bites. But 15,000 were stuffed when you put it in the hands of the miracle worker. So he collects 12 basketfuls, which has prophetic meaning, and because Jesus never wastes a miracle. Let me conclude with this. There's a conversation between Philip and Andrew. You guys ready to hear it? I didn't write it, but I found it. Imagine a conversation between Philip and Andrew as they were gathering up the leftovers. Philip set his basket load. Philip set his basket load of bread fragments down on the grass. He straightened his tired back and scanned the huge crowd of happy, satisfied people. It was hard to absorb what just happened. Andrew dropped the basket beside Philip's, blew a sigh, and leaned on Philip's shoulder. Well done, Philip. You fed them, just like Jesus instructed. But I'd have to say that you overestimated the bread. With a dazed laugh, Philip answered, no, I, overmet, oh, I overestimated the cost. I thought the bread would bankrupt us. I think you're the one who actually got the food. True. But who knew the boy, that the boy's lunch would be more than enough for the biggest picnic in Israel? How many loaves did he have? Five. How many loaves do you think we gave out? I have no idea. I've never seen so much bread in all my life. This is easily over 15,000 people here. Andrew did a silent calculation, maybe 40,000 loaves. Philip just stood and shook his head in amazement. That's not even counting the fish. I know. It would have taken Peter and me weeks to haul in that many fish. And I was passing them out. I, was, I got to thinking, where did all these fish come from? What do you mean? Well, the boy had two fish, right? We know, where, we know where those fish came from. Some fishermen caught them, sold them in the market. The boy's mother bought them, prepared them, sent, sent it with him. But we must have passed out about 40,000 or 20,000 fish. Philip, where did those fish come from? 
Nobody caught them or sold them or bought them. Nobody prepared them. They just appeared. Mystified, Philip replied, I didn't even think about that. Andrew pulled a fish fragment from the basket. Look, this fish has eyes. It has gills. It has fins. It's a real fish. Did it ever swim, Philip? Did it ever use those eyes or fins? Did it ever live? Did God snatch it out of the sea and prepare it and give it to Jesus a second before he handed it to us? Or did he just create it there on the spot, fully prepared? Philip looked down at, the ba- at his basket. The same goes for the bread. Did God take the barley from the field of the world, in the world, and instantly make it into bread? Or did he speak it into existence, fully baked? Both of them looked over at Jesus in wonder. Andrew said, whatever he did is beyond comprehension. Philip, we may, have be, we, may have, we may have been the first to eat miracle food since the manna last fell in the wilderness. Philip quoted Moses. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him, it is him that you shall listen to. Then turning to Andrew, he said, I've known he's the one from the first time I call, he called me. I've seen him turn water into wine. I've seen healings like nothing I've heard or seen before, and yet I'm slow to listen and slow to believe. When he asked me about feeding the crowd, I didn't even think about his power. I just looked on how little money we had and how much of an impossibility it was. I'm no better than Moses' generation who saw miracle after miracle and then promptly forgot God's power the next time they faced an obstacle. I'm in the same boat with you, Philip. I'm the one who asked, what are five barley loaves and two fish for so many? Andrew, I don't want to forget this moment. He made five loaves and two fish more than enough for 15,000 people. He spoke it and it was provided. This is why he's, he told us not to be anxious about our needs, but to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, believing that all these things will be added to us. I want to remember this when the next impossibility shows up. Because if we really believe him, our worries are over, and we will partner with him to change the world. Let's stand. Wow, what a story. You know, we're called. um, Why does this challenge me? Because too often I find myself just caring about myself. Like I live in my world. And there's things that the Lord has given me that require my attention and my responsibility. We can all say amen to that, right? But the Lord wants us to also care for our brothers and sisters here in the house of God and to reach the world. And I don't know what you have. 
Some of you have a lot, some of you don't. In the kingdom, I don't think God views it like that. I think he has a different lens. We have a lens that's built around our structure, our government, our status. He has a kingdom lens. And he views things a lot differently than we do. But here's the thing I want to just ask you. What is it that the Lord has asked you? What is it that the Lord has required of you? And what will you do with that? I felt like when I was preparing this message today, I, I don't know why I felt this. When I, when I prepared, I just kind of worked through it, asked the Lord, and I just kept on thinking that there's people here that the Lord is wanting to birth. I, I, only thing I can think of, the Lord wants to birth, has promised you, is birthing ministries inside of you, a ministry or ministries inside of you. And I think you've asked them, I don't know how that's actually going to happen. I don't know how we're going to pull this off. What you're requiring is huge. And in the natural, I just don't have the resources to do it. And I just want you to be encouraged today in that start somewhere with what he said. Can you at least do that? Can we start somewhere with what he says? And if that's you, if you're If you're in that place, would you just slip your hand up? Because I just want to make sure I heard from the Lord. I don't want to to assume anything. Go up real high. Just real, real high. Because I feel like the Lord has called you to be a minister of the gospel. And I said it so often that my ministry is going to be different than yours, but we all share the same anointing. And that you are all ministers of the gospel. Go ahead, put your hand up again. If that's you, if the Lord is really is putting something in your heart, just don't know how it's going to happen. Would you take a moment? Can, can I just invite you to the front? We just want to pray for you. Just give me five more minutes. And I think just making that step forward, I feel like the Lord is going to meet you. Just come on up. We just want to pray. I feel like there's people who are called to ministry. I feel like there's, the Lord is releasing people to, to creative and innovative things, greater levels of anointing, and we just want to come up and say yes. That's all we're doing is we're just saying yes. We're just saying yes. We're just saying yes. If there's anybody else you need to come, I don't want you to miss this, because I want the Lord's face to turn towards you even more today. Let the Lord speak to you for a moment. What's something that you can do? What's the next step that you can take? Let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Lord, I pray for provision, revelation, and provision in the name of Jesus. Let the Lord speak to you. Let the Lord speak to you.
Can we just recommit? Can you just take whatever that is the Lord has promised you and put on your heart? It may be just five loaves and two fish. But can you just, in the spirit, just put that in Jesus' hands right now? And just let's just recommit that to the Lord and say, this promise, this anointing, this gifting, this ministry, Lord, I just, it's, it might just be two fish and five loaves. But in the hands of the Savior, it'll feed 15,000. So in the spirit, we just commit this. Let's just recommit. Let's just reoffer that to the Lord. Say, here it is, Jesus. Here it is. Here it is. Take it and multiply it. Take it and open doors. Take it. Take it. I have confidence in you. I choose not to be anxious. I choose to rest and believe. I don't know how you're going to do it, Lord, but I know it's not in my hands, it's in yours. It's in your hands. So, Lord, surprise us. <laughs> surprise us. Surprise us. Lord, surprise us. Shock us in the spirit. Just surprise us with your goodness. Surprise us with doors that are opening. Surprise us with miracles created. Surprise us, Lord, with provision. Supply, surprise us, Lord, with, with connections. Surprise us, Lord. Surprise us with the, the practical the relational surprises, Lord, in the spirit. Just surprises, Lord God. We thank you for it, Lord. And we just cease. I just want to break any striving off of you. And I just want to encourage you to rest in the presence of the Lord, that he has it. He's got 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 you. He knows. He sees. So, Lord, we don't, we don't want to create something. We just want to come to you, offer it to you, and just rest. May the peace of the Lord just rest over you right now. Just receive the rest of the Lord. Just receive the peace of God. Oh, Lord, you're good. You'll open up the doors. We just trust. We just want to go on loving you. We just want to go on worshiping you. We just want to go on entering into your presence. We want to go on to that place of rest, Lord. And we want to see the multiplication. We want to see the 15,000 fed, the 15 souls, 15,000 souls brought into the kingdom, the 100,000 souls brought into the kingdom. We do, we do. We want to see all the things that you promised us. And Lord God, we want to petition and believe you for it. But we don't want to strive either. So we trust you. And so Lord God, this afternoon we just 
offer up the fish and the loaves and we say it's yours. We're going to put it in the master's hands. And so, Lord, we're just going to say we're going to watch and see what you're going to do. We're going to watch and see what you're going to do. We're going to watch and see, be a part of what you're doing. Bring the multiplication. Bring the multiplication in the name of the Lord. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more messages like this, please subscribe and thank you for listening.